Well, today, Global Affairs Canada said a social media campaign that is likely connected to China is targeting dozens of MPs with spam. The campaign included deepfake videos and hate-spewing tweets. Spamouflage campaign, uh, the spamouflage campaign included over 5,000 social media posts targeting Canadian politicians, including Prime Minister Trudeau and opposition leader Pierre Polya. The findings uh, come from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Joanna Chu broke the story today. She is a senior reporter with a Toronto star and the author of China Unbound, A New World Disorder. She joins us now. Joanna, thank you for speaking to us today. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, How does this uh, spamouflage campaign work? So spamouflage was first detected by social media companies several years ago, and platforms like Twitter, Facebook have taken down, you know, hundreds of thousands of um, accounts associated with the Beijing government um, that basically posts on social media platforms, really drowning out um, actual people, and many of these are bots, um, with an intent to confuse, disorient, or promote views that are very favorable to the Chinese government. Uh, And one assumes it's not the first time they've done this. I mean, it's generally been uh, assumed, I think, by people, not just China, but many other uh, interests, countries, uh, do mm-hmm. this on a semi-regular basis? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's activity from Russia, from India that we've seen definitely targeting Canadians. Um, but this is interesting because it was a very intensive campaign for about a month, this mm-hmm. past August to September, attacking not just, um, you know, Canadian influential people um, in politics, but specifically Canadian politicians, including most, of the attacks were targeting Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, also Conservative leader Pierre Poilievre. Um, so it's quite targeted at politicians. And it seemed to subside a few days after uh, Canada announced um, who would be leading the public inquiry into foreign interference. So that's an interesting correlation. Um, and speaking with the analysts in Australia, actually, who uncovered a lot of this activity and shared it with us exclusively, um, the intent um, is really getting quite personal at Canadian politicians, including attacking their family members, um, questioning the sexual orientation of their children, um, accusing <laughs> Canadian politicians of being bad parents, things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, the end game was to influence who we chose to run inquiry, or is this a deeper um, campaign to just sow unrest within our Uh, political discourse in this country? Yeah, I think what's unique about what China does around the world, and I've covered this in our reporting and my book, um, is that it is the intent seems to be so broad, um, not really about pushing certain narratives, such as about, say, the war in Ukraine that uh, Russia does, but about pretty much fomenting as much confusion and... um, kind of negative feelings about the Canadian government in Canada as possible. Um, And there's a lot of resources that China has to have these kind of broad-reaching objectives. Uh, But it it should be said that after quite a while, like you said, of this happening, social media companies do seem to be on the ball. A lot of the activity that I have independently identified has since been detected and disabled by these um, social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else we can do as a nation to combat this beyond 
pushing social media companies to be vigilant, mm-hmm. um, especially when I look at um, X, formerly known as Twitter. They've let go of a lot of employees that once did mm-hmm. that type of work. Um, and I would yeah. think relying on a private sector company is perhaps not the best way to secure the discourse of a nation. Is there anything we need to be do- doing yeah. in your mind to, to combat some of this? Yeah, so when I was doing my research to verify what the Australian uh, think tank shared with me, it was interesting that a lot of the activity that was still online and searchable and being able to be found by me was on X, formerly Twitter, um, and they were only taken down and accounts were suspended, as far as I can tell, in the last week, when this has been going on since August. So whereas on uh, YouTube and Facebook, Instagram, these accounts um, were suspended kind of earlier. So there's varying speeds. And, you know, the question you raise about resources of social media companies having this kind of national security issue up to them is something that people uh, have expressed discomfort with, um, have called on governments like Canada to actually um, implement legislation that would lay out certain legal responsibilities that social media companies need to abide by and jurisdictions like the European Union actually have some of these in place where um, they're not only you know letting social media companies know that they should take down uh, these activity but they're legislating that even from the design process how algorithms work how the design of social media platforms work that they're really targeting trying to discourage as much disinformation and online harassment and harm as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And is that where we should, be, we should be looking at the EU and perhaps even other countries like Australia, not necessarily on social media, but mm-hmm. in regards to foreign policy being uh, a bit more aggressive back at China, or at least kind of counteract what China is doing? Is that where we should be looking in regards to uh, best practices? Mm-hmm. Well, I can't, you know, prescribe what the government should do, being a journalist, trying to remain neutral. Mm-hmm. But I think it is fair to say that other countries have different models of tackling this. Currently, Canada doesn't have legislation in place. It is working on online harm legislation, but sources tell us that disinformation will not be a central part of this legislation that Ottawa is working on that would have some um, guidelines and expectations for social media companies. Um, whereas in places like Europe, again, they have passed legislation, the UK has, and Taiwan has an interesting approach, and I uh, got to talk to some Taiwanese politicians about it when I visited Taiwan um, over a year ago, that they are really working with civil society groups to empower ordinary people to know how to recognize uh, disinformation coming from China, because as you can imagine, China really targets Taiwanese uh, social media spaces. So they're really trying to educate people and, you know, reach out, actually go into communities, talk to people, including the elderly. Um, so it's not all just online uh, to try to make sure that ordinary citizens know how to, A, identify this information and B, have resources where they can quickly ask a question and verify whether something is true or not. Uh, Joanne, I just want to expand the conversation just a little bit beyond just this uh, influence campaign. 
you're still looking at a country that represents nearly 25% of humanity in China. We'll st- mm-hmm. We still trade with China. Uh, you had mentioned uh, India in your com- uh, conversation as, wire, as well prior to the break. Here's another uh, country which is now even more populous than India, or sorry, than China, and also representing mm-hmm. a significant, significant amount of people. I think collectively both countries represent about 40% of humanity. How do we counteract some of these influence campaigns, yet at the same time, the challenges of actually still interacting with these countries. I mean, it looks like Canada's in a real tough place because we are um, having some difficult difficulty in our relationship with both nations, yet at the same time, mm-hmm. we still need to be interacting with them, trading with them, and yet we're still dealing with potentially influence campaigns in our, in our country, and in one case with India, mm-hmm. uh, being involved with them killing one of our citizens. Yeah, it's really tough. Um, you can't um, really feasibly cut off uh, ties between um, our country and, you know, two of the largest countries in the world, mm-hmm. making up so much of the world population, um, either on a government level or a people-to-people level or business-to-business. Um, I think a lot of criticism was levied at Canada's response to what China had been doing because the response was kind of, okay, what's the next biggest country in Asia, India, let's um, craft our Indo-Pacific strategy around uh, optimism that India, Canada trade and diplomatic relations will be stable and uh, fruitful for both sides that pursue a trade deal. But, you know, that was already rocky given um, existing tensions and with um, this intelligence that the Indian government was likely behind in that assassination of a Canadian on Canadian soil all of a sudden, Canada's um, plan to deal with the uh, decline in relations with China is also kind of up in smoke. Um, realistically, um, people say it's really tough, but diversifying as much as possible, uh, not just one country or this country, like pivoting to you know these large countries, but um, broadly, you know, working with Vietnam, working with uh, Indonesia, um, Australia, and putting that work more diffusely um, would be a way to go. And that will also um, make kind of diaspora communities feel like they are less likely to uh, have the geopolitics overshadow their ongoing human rights complaints. So, for example, people in the Sikh Canadian Indian diaspora have been warning similarly to Chinese Canadians for years, that they have been targeted, harassed um, by the Indian state, and they feel that they have been ignored partly um, out of business interests. Um, so it's very complicated because at the same time, a lot of people in Canada, their livelihoods are reliant on um, their countries not completely blowing up relations <laughs> with uh, other major countries. So there's really not a clear answer there. But... Um, overall, as a journalist, I would think that as much public education and awareness as possible um, will only help um, people navigate this kind of tricky terrain. Yeah, it is a, it's a tough one to navigate and a tough one to answer as well. Final question to you. Uh, I guess we can expect the same sort of campaign or some sort of influence campaign, one must assume, during the next federal election as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, you know, a lot of analysts and researchers were disappointed at the previous federal election because um, the one previous to the one that had passed, um, people were already already warning about influence campaigns having occurred 
uh, feeling that despite these warnings uh, that politicians, that the government was not better prepared to monitor. Um, I think Canada is slowly getting there. Um, this May, when uh, MP Michael Chong again was targeted with a disinformation campaign, really going after him on the really popular Chinese platform WeChat, um, targeting Canadian-based users of WeChat and attacking Michael. Um, the government actually released a statement, um, but they released a statement recently rather than at the time. I think um, when these kind of public uh, education and notifications are more timely, that this will be a way to equip people to know what they're seeing, that there is uh, notifications in place that um, they can look up if they see a post um, that looks like it could be um, nefarious of some sort, that there's a way to, in a more timely manner, figure out what is actually going on. Joanna, as always, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jess. Thanks for highlighting our reporting.